At Zenni, you get the same quality frame and lens options that you'd get from an optician for one-tenth of the price, including blue blockers, progressives, prescription sunglasses, and more. The best part? Try on any frame, anywhere, with our 3D virtual try-on. Zenni.com. Eyewear for everyone. Welcome to Accelerate Your Business Growth with your host, Diane Helbig. Diane is a leading small business development and leadership coach, author, and speaker who is passionate about sharing valuable ideas, tips, and techniques with business professionals worldwide. Diane brings you the world's experts and gurus in all things business, whether it's sales, structure, social media, planning, or plateauing, guests bring their expertise and energy to each episode. When growing your business is your focus, Accelerate Your Business Growth is the show to listen to. Got a topic or guest suggestion? Let Diane know. The goal is to make sure you have the information you need to move your business forward. Thanks for joining us. Settle in and enjoy. Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for joining us. Today's podcast is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken audio entertainment and information. Listen to audiobooks whenever and wherever you want. Get a free book when you sign up for a 30-day free trial at audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Accelerate Your Business Growth podcast is uh, gaining recognition as a great resource for small business owners, entrepreneurs, and sales professionals. From MSNBC's Your Business to Inc.com, Fit Small Business, uh, Proven, People First, uh, this podcast is enjoying inclusion on lists of the best podcasts to listen to. This is really due in large part to the wonderful guests who I have had the pleasure of speaking with over the years. These are folks who have expertise in a variety of uh, business areas, and they join me uh, to have a conversation. You know, they give of their time and their talent uh, so that all of you can learn the things that you feel like you need to know in order to be more successful. Uh, today, uh, I have a boomerang guest. I have a guest who was on here previously and has returned, and that is David A. Fields. David is a consultant, author, and possibly one of the most influential voices in consulting and consultative sales. His new book, The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients, is the most highly recommended book on building a consulting practice released in over 30 years. Thanks so much for coming back, David. Oh, absolutely. I didn't, you know, I hadn't heard the term boomerang guest. I'm, I'm feeling very Australian now. <laughs> Can you talk with an accent? Absolutely not. <laughs> Darn it. Well, then we'll just pretend like you are. <laughs> exactly. All I would do is offend all of my friends down under. Yeah, that would not be a good idea. Let, let's not do that. Okay. I can't either. So we'll just, you know, pretty much let that go. So in your book, uh, you lay out six steps, and I'm wondering if you would quickly go through them and explain them um, for our listeners. Sure. You betcha. So these are the six steps to winning 
consulting business. What I've been told is they apply pretty much to almost any kind of consultative sales, any kind of business. They, they seem to work, but I know the consulting business, so that, that's what they're designed for. The six steps very quickly are step one, think right side up, and I'll explain what that means in a moment. Step two, maximize your impact. Step three, build visibility. Step four, connect, connect, connect. Step five is become the obvious choice. And step six is propose, negotiate, and close, which kind of sounds like three steps, but it's not. Because if you do the first five steps, then proposing, negotiating, and closing is simple, it's easy, it's fast. Yeah. So yeah. Let, me, let me just back up and I'll run through them very quickly. Great. Okay. So think right side up. That's step one, which is another way of saying, make it all about them, not you. We tend to fill our, our minds, our, our mindsets, our thinking with a very small group ourselves, uh, which is good. I mean, that's normal. That's how we survive as human beings. It's very healthy. It's why all of your listeners are here today because they're hoping to hear something to improve themselves, to improve their business, to allow them to succeed. So that's normal. But to win in sales, you have to flip that right side up, which means thinking about them. And in our business, in any kind of service business, the business isn't about you, it's about them. So that's thinking right side up. Step two is maximizing your impact. And by that, I mean making sure you are talking to the right people about the right problem, offering the right solution in a way that's compelling at the right time. And if you get those four rights in place, the business is easy. Now, of course, getting those four rights in place is half the battle. And especially for entrepreneurs and the kind of folks who I think are mostly your listeners and and are listening to this and wondering, how do I grow my business? A lot of folks think their challenge is in building visibility, which is the next step. And in fact, the the truth is, and I know this from working with just a ton of businesses, the real challenge is an impact, is in making sure when you talk to someone, when you're in front of someone, it hits them. It hits them hard. They pay attention and they say, wow, that's what I want. So it actually impact tends to be the place to focus for small businesses, for small consultancies, I think for, for small shops in general. But once you have that impact, then yes, you need to get out there into the world and become visible. So maximize your visibility, build your visibility. And one absolute uh, most important way to build visibility, because I talk about the five marketing musts in building visibility, one that gets a section all its own is connecting. Consulting is a people business. Service businesses in general are people businesses. And that means we have to connect. We have to create relationships. And if we create relationships, opportunities will arise. When those opportunities arise, then we can shift into step five, which is becoming the obvious choice. And that comes down to a single word, discovery. The better you know your your prospect, the more likely you are to be chosen by them because you can create an offering or talk to them in a way that speaks to their desires, that speaks to their concerns. And then wrapping it up is easy. And in consulting, that means submitting a proposal um, and negotiating any terms and closing. But all that wrap up is actually pretty straightforward. Yes, there are tricks to negotiating, uh, but that part's easy. And and if you've done it well up front, you're set. So there you go. There are your six steps. Does that all make sense? 
You know, it makes perfect sense. I'd like to go back to the impact one because I think this is one that a lot of people get wrong. I don't think they appreciate the kind of impact they should be making. So they're sort of like a bull in a china shop and that and they'll say, Well, I, I'm you know, I'm making an impact. It's like, yeah, but no one wants to be around you. So, uh, y- yeah. Right? Can you talk some <laughs> about the kind of impact? <laughs> well, <clears throat> again, I mean, it, it's about them. It's not about you. So impact doesn't mean make yourself stand out. Impact makes your, means make yourself irresistible to someone else. It means it, it, it doesn't mean pounding your, your square peg into whatever shape slot they happen to have, right? It means fitting what they need. And it, you, you, that's actually a very insightful that you brought that up because you're right. So many folks try to, to think impact means loud or impact yeah. means different. And in consulting, in a lot of service businesses and a lot of businesses in general, but especially in consulting, differentiation not only doesn't matter, it tends to be wrong. And so a lot of efforts to create impact come down to what can I do that's different? And that's misplaced energy. That's misplaced effort. Because most customers for most products actually aren't looking for different. What they're looking for is reliable and credible. They're looking for a solution to their problem. They're looking for alleviation of their pain or the ability to achieve their aspirations. And what they want to know is that you, whatever your business is, whatever your product is, whatever your offering is, whatever your service is, that you have shown in the past, you can do it. And the more you look like something that's proven, that's tried and true, the more likely you are to have impact. The more you try to differentiate and say, we are so different from everyone else. We've got a new whiz bang, never heard before process for, for plasma stabilizers, whatever it is, the less likely they are to, to purchase your offering because it seems too risky. It doesn't seem like it's credible and reliable. Wow, that's really interesting. Because yeah, it is people really, really are spending it is they're spending a lot of time being told and trying to differentiate. Yes. Wow. Yes. See, I grew I grew up in consumer uh, products and consumer packaged goods, which is where a lot of this sort of marketing standards and marketing ideas come from. Because that is at the forefront and the leading edge of a lot of marketing. I mean, it's classic Consumer products marketing is where you learn things like differentiation. And if you are running a toothpaste business, if you are running an antacid business or another standard shrink-wrapped product, then differentiation does become important. Then you do need to go beyond the basics because every toothpaste cleans teeth. Every toothpaste, as long as it has any kind, well, almost really any toothpaste, will take away uh, some of the the. Uh, things on your teeth (laughs) that would cause cavities as long as you use it. So as a toothpaste manufacturer, you have to get beyond those basics that the basics you're already credible on and then start to say, well, okay, but, but we make you your smile brighter. And so that's differentiation, but for the typical service offering, you're not shrink wrapped and you're not dealing with a, a situation where the, your customer automatically thinks you can deliver the goods. 
That's particularly true in consulting. And it's also true in most small businesses where they're not offering a shrink wrap product. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Okay. So you mentioned when you were talking about um, becoming the obvious choice, you said it comes down to one thing, which is discovery. Yes. So what do you mean by that? That's going to be my fourth book, by the way. Great. It's going to be discovery. <laughs> um, not my third book, but fourth book. So this, okay. this is what I mean. When you know your prospect better than anyone else, better than perhaps your prospect knows himself, then it becomes very easy to talk about your offering, perhaps to tailor your offering, if that's possible, in a way that makes you the obvious choice. And I'll give you an example. Last night, I submitted a proposal for a client. And I know that client has some concern about whether the daily fires that come up in every business will distract him from the long term. Because we're going to be working on some big ideas to grow his business. We're, that's part of what we do, right? We're going to go in, we're going to under, uncover what those bottlenecks are, and we're going to put in place some pieces to help him grow. But I know because I've done discovery that his concern is that's great, but what happens in four months? What happens in eight months when I get dragged back into the day-to-day -day firefighting? I've done this before. Great. Since I know that, since I've discovered that, in the proposal that I submitted last night, I included, I showed explicitly how we're going to address that concern. What we're going to do to keep him out of the weeds and his firm out of the weeds four months from now, six months from now, nine months from now. And by alleviating that concern, which he probably forgot he expressed to me, his, he's thinking, holy cow, this guy not only is given a, a you know, good basic approach, he knows what I'm concerned about and has addressed it proactively. So that, that's what I mean by discovery and then using discovery to craft your offering or to tailor your offering or perhaps even the way you talk about your offering, what you emphasize, what you de-emphasize so that it meets your client's needs, your customer's needs. Remembering it's all about them, right side up. It's not about you, it's about what they need. I think that's fabulous. I love that. I think sales is all about discovery. I'm so with you on this, that you really need to really hear them. You need to ask enough questions that you have an understanding, not only of this immediate thing, but where their head is. Like you were just saying, you know, what is, what are their other concerns or even what are their real concerns in their entire landscape? Because all of those things impact how well you're going to be able to um, quote, you know, give your proposal and actually be successful at whatever it is, if they choose you, whatever it is that they think they need. I love oh, Absolutely that. right. That's absolutely right. And it's not just, the, so it used to be speeds and feeds, right? It used to be, here's our yeah. features and benefits. And yeah. then we got past that. And there, so a lot of people know, well, I need to understand. I need to discover their concerns, meaning their, they think they mean their pain points. Right? right, because it's become very popular to say, "What's their pain point?" Yeah, and what I'm and and that is important. It's important to understand that. What I'm suggesting is we also need to go beyond that. Just, and this is just one part of discovery, by the way. But one important part of discovery is moving past that and understanding not just what their pain point is, but what their fears are, 
what their concerns are, what their concerns are with you, what their concerns are in general. And if you are brave enough to broach those topics, to gather that information, then it positions you to know exactly what to do to win the business. Or in some cases, walk away because yeah. it's not, maybe it's not a good client uh, or good, good prospect. Yeah. Um, but you have to know that. Okay, so talk to me some a little bit about the bravery thing. So do you think it's that people are afraid to ask the question because they're afraid that the answer is going to shine a light on something that's going to mean they have to walk away or yeah. do oh, you? No. So I, I, think that, <laughs> I think that people are afraid to ask the question, um, one, because of sort of generalized anxiety, meaning they're not sure exactly why because they haven't thought about it but it feels like a question that maybe they shouldn't ask okay so so it's just it fits into that category of really can i ask that yeah. <laughs> which i get a lot of by the way when when consultants are are with me and i'm running this perhaps with one of their prospects i'll conduct this context discussion and they're like holy cow you could really ask that and they answered yes <laughs> um, absolutely but i hear there's also this fear that you're going to derail the sale. Yeah. What if I say, uh, well, Mr. Prospect, well, Diane, what are your concerns about doing a podcast with me? Let's say I was trying to sell you on the idea of doing a podcast. I say, Diane, what, what are your concerns about doing a podcast with me? The fear might be that you go, you all of a sudden have this realization. Wow, you know what, David, maybe I don't want to do a podcast with you. <laughs> Um, right. So that's the fear is that by bringing up something negative, all those negative feelings will somehow be assigned to us. But here's the truth. If you were that easily dissuaded from doing a podcast with me, if simply asking about you would get you to think, you know, what, maybe I don't want to do a podcast with you, then you were never, good, never a good prospect. You would have realized it anyway. Yeah. So all we're doing is we're taking that, again. That, are, that, are, that are either um, on the surface but unsaid or slightly below the surface and we're making them explicit so that we can address them and so we can know about them. Yeah, I'm, I'm all about this. This is so great because people so think that they, if they're just slick enough, smooth enough, if they say the right things that they should get all the business and the truth is no they shouldn't and they really want to be entering into really good solid relationships with their customers and clients regardless of what they sell well exactly i mean the, the easiest business to win of course is business with current clients with current customers yep. and so you want to be in good relationships which is you know that's what you said and i think you're you're right on the mark there if you have good clients now and good customers now that is the best setup for good customers tomorrow. And, you know, that's how you relieve anxiety is by knowing your, your new business engine, right. your revenue engine is solid. You know, your revenue engine is solid if you can count on your current customer base and then just yeah. add to it. Yeah. Okay. Are there like one or two, <laughs> I'm going to limit you to one or two. Okay. Are there one or two mistakes that you see entrepreneurs consistently making when they're trying to win new uh, customers? Are there one or two mistakes? Um, yeah. There are, uh, there are <laughs> um, one or two. 
Uh, and by the way, if there's a mistake, I've made it um, and, you know, and more. Uh, so uh, I say this from personal experience of having made any mistake. I think there are, um, there are big mistakes and there are little mistakes and there are little mistakes that actually have big consequences. So uh, let me give you an example of one of the, the latter and that I think probably wouldn't come out in, in, an, in a normal conversation where people are saying the, the big things. One mistake I see frequently is people forgetting to lock in the next conversation. And when oh. I say lock in, I mean, what, so again, let's just take the last night's proposal because it's on my mind because I submitted it last yeah. night. Yeah. I didn't just submit the proposal and say, well, you know, get back to me or say, maybe we should connect on Friday or next week. If you were to look at my calendar here on my computer, it says 9 a.m. on Friday, we are scheduled to have a conversation. And that's true of every single person, every single prospect with whom I'm in conversation. So there's no such thing as a conversation that ends without scheduling literally a time and date for the next conversation. And that little habit, which is easy to forget, that little habit, I swear, for, for if you are listening and you don't have that habit, you're going to find this is the easiest way to double your business <laughs> because it creates momentum and it preserves momentum. And all of those opportunities where, where someone seems to go AWOL or the thing just disappears, they won't be going AWOL because you have them locked in on the calendar. Now, can some people still disappear? Sure. Uh, and, and, you know, are there issues with people changing their minds or priorities? Absolutely. And I can tell you, this is the easiest way <laughs> to improve your sales process. So that's a little mistake with big consequences. How's that one suit you? Oh my God. I love that. It is so true. It is so true. They, they put the next step in the other person's hands and then don't know what to do with themselves. They're like afraid to pick up the phone and call them. They, you know, you'll say, how'd the meeting go? Oh, it's great. Okay, what's next? Well, they'll let me know if they like my proposal. <laughs> okay, <laughs> good <Yeah>. luck. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so it's, uh, and it's, it is actually like, like most habits. Um, uh, what I've learned is it's a hard habit to create. But once you create it, it will be like uh, going to bed without brushing your teeth meaning you, you won't be able to hang up the phone without saying, let's get something on the calendar and knowing how to respond. If someone says, well, okay, look, I'll give you a call on Friday. You know, knowing how to convert that into, well, what, what time? Let's put something on the calendar now because you get busy, I get busy. It'll, it'll, you know, we'll end up not connecting. So let's actually nail something down. Yeah. Once you practice that enough, it becomes, uh, it really, it, it just becomes part of your phone hygiene. Yeah. So, yeah. so there's one. Okay. Let's see. The, the other habit, so I'll go the other extreme, meaning, so that's something really little. Now I'll tell you something really big, but it's extremely difficult to address actually. And the, the step one I told you in this whole process is thinking right side up. Mm -hmm. And what I see most often is a struggle with that is people going into any kind of presentation any kind of client um client meeting any phone call 
uh, upside down. It, it, meaning if you, if you happen to do a presentation, take a look at your presentation. What are the first 10 pages about? Is it about you or is it about your client? You, take a look at your own emails. And after you say, hi, Diane, or hi, David, or hi, whomever, what's the first word? And most people, most emails, that first word is I. It is. <laughs> I hope you're doing well. Well, who's that about? Well, if I say, I hope I'm doing well, it's actually about me. It's about my hopes. Right. right. So it's actually upside down. And most of our communication, most of what we do is upside down. And it, it turns out that while it's a very simple concept to put your clients first and to think about them first, in practice, it's quite difficult because that's not our normal disposition. And so to train yourself to be right side up is difficult and pays dividends it sets you apart. Yeah. So that's a, that's a, it's a big mistake. It's a common mistake. Um, I see it with, with firms big and small. Um, you know, and I'll, I'll go in and yeah. look at their presentations. They're all about them. Their proposals are all about them. And you might think yeah. your sale is all about you. Well, don't they want to know about my product? Isn't that about me? And the answer is no. <laughs> yeah. If someone asks about you, they're not actually interested in you. What they're interested in is, you only in relation to how you can help them. Absolutely. I so love this. This is what I say to people all the time. You're going to walk into a sales appointment. They're going to say, so tell me about your widget. And I'm suggesting to you that you don't because they really don't want to hear about your widget. Not really. You have to know about them. Right. Yeah. Right. So right. you can tell them about your widget later when you can relate it to whatever their situation is. That's the only thing they're going to hear. Right. Your widget, and, and exactly, your widget in, in many ways is irrelevant. Your widget yeah. is merely a, a step on the way to solving their, their problem, to alleviating their symptom, to achieving their aspiration. And so unless you can talk in those terms of, of what yeah. that particular aspiration is or what that symptom is, your widget doesn't matter. Yep. Yep. Oh, I'm so thrilled that, that I asked that question. I, I think those two things are key, you know, key to people's success. And so uh, I'll posit something for you and you can tell me what you think. I think it's actually easier for people to do discovery than it is for them to do a presentation about their product or service. Do you think that's true or it's easier to do discovery than to do a presentation about a good presentation or any presentation. Any good, presentation. Dis good discovery or bad discovery? <laughs> <laughs> good discovery. I think good discovery takes practice. Yeah. And it, it actually takes, again, my, my learning has been over the years working with folks that it, that it takes a fair amount of practice. There are parts of discovery that are quite easy, but there are parts of discovery that are not so easy. For instance, if I say, uh, you know, Diane, why is it you were even bothering to do a podcast? What's the value of doing this? Okay, so I'm asking you for, to, to assign some sort of value so that we can start to see, is this worth doing? Is it worth paying a huge amount of money for whatever my offering is? There, there are a couple of challenges in there. Um, so it's easy to ask the question. What's hard is getting good answers. You may not know the answer because you may not have thought of it. You might be somewhat uh, reticent to share that information. You might be suspicious of why I'm asking. 
And, uh, and all sorts of concerns come up. And, and that's actually a fairly easy one. So discovery is um, on its surface, not that difficult, but to do it well, does take some practice, takes a little bit of training and takes a little bit of guidance and takes some, some practice. Now, good presenting also takes some practice yeah. to, to not make it about you and make it about them. Right. Right. Okay. All right. Thanks. I appreciate that. I'm going to take a quick sponsor break and then I have more questions for you. Cool beans. Accelerate Your Business Growth Podcast is happy to be sponsored by audible.com. Audible.com is a leading provider of spoken digital audio entertainment and information. They have over 150,000 titles to choose from, and you can listen to them on any device, including whatever you're hearing us on right now. And if you sign up at our link, which is audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, you get one free audiobook and a one-month trial of the service. Some examples of books you can listen to on audible.com are the Boomerang Principle by Lee Carraher and The Irresistible Consultant's Guide to Winning Clients by our very own guest, David Afield. So visit audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth, explore the books that are of interest to you, and receive one free audiobook when you sign up for the trial. Today we are speaking with David Afield about winning clients. <coughs> So, David, if someone is listening, you know, they're listening, they're just starting out, what do you think is the best thing they can do to quickly bring in revenue? Uh, what kind of business are they in? Let's say they're in a service business. Okay. So, the, the very best thing, well, here, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to back up a little bit and give a, okay. uh, an answer which is maybe unfair. Okay. If, you're, if you're going to set up shop, and it may, may be too late if you're listening, but if you're going to set up shop, one of my recommendations is you make sure you have enough financial runway. Yeah. Because the, the challenge is, if you go into it or you find yourself with uh, two months left of cash before the walls cave in, your anxiety level will be so high that it's actually harder to win business. The um, desperation it, it just will, will waft off of you <laughs> and be, be <laughs> obvious. And so uh, that's a, that's a t very difficult spot to be in. And if you are in that spot, the beg, borrow, steal, find a job, um, do work for other folks, do something so that you have some, some cash flow to give you yourself some financial security. So that, that may be unfair. So I kind of backed up before step one and said there's step zero, which is put yourself in a place where you can succeed. I, yeah. I think that's hugely important. So thank you for that. Yeah, you're welcome for that. Again, all this stuff is, it just comes from, from experience, from, from seeing it among clients, from, from living many of these things myself. Now, if you are in a position though, let, you, you're okay, now you need to build a business. Uh, keep in mind that in many service businesses, in consulting, for instance, there's a long cycle time. You don't typically just run out and win a piece of business, certainly not 50 or 100 or 150 or $500,000 in a matter of a week or two. In most cases, there is a, it can be six, eight, nine, 12, 15 months or longer. So you have to set yourself up for doing that. That said, if you want to create cash in a hurry, the two most reliable paths I have seen are one, 
calling everyone you know, so networking. And networking not meaning glad handing, networking meaning building relationships and exploring and being on people's minds if they have a problem that your service solves. So it's not selling because going out and pitching rarely works. <laughs> you can't sell something to someone who doesn't have the need. Yeah. But what you can do is make them aware of you and if they have the need for your offering, they'll buy it. So you have to get out there and, and talk with people, talk with as many people as possible. So that's one path. It's for many people painful, but it's actually the most reliable. And you can draw a pretty direct line between your willingness to be in conversation with people and to initiate conversations with people and your revenue. Those, are, those will work um, in lockstep with a certain number of months delay, uh, but it's, it's, it's almost guaranteed. The second most uh, effective way to win business in most cases is to speak, meaning is to get out there on stage. And that's true whether you're a consultant, whether you're running a real estate business, whether you're running an insurance business, whether you are, uh, I mean, take your, take your, whatever it is your offering is. If you are on stage and it can take sometimes a little bit of time to get on stage, but if you can get yourself on stage, if you can get yourself in a podcast, if you can get yourself in a place where you are seen as an authority and where you get to have your message put in front of tens or hundreds or thousands of your prospective clients or customers, you're in a position to win business. It helps to have a, a good follow-up process. So knowing that will, will work in your favor. But being in stage, uh, by and large, is a, a tried and true proven way to get business. It's uh, certainly the most effective way I have seen for very, very fast impact once you have the speaking gig. Now, does that help? Do you think that, does that apply to enough of your, your audience, Diane? You know, I think it probably does. Yeah, I, I think that that is great. And I agree with that. I think you have to get out. Everything that you said, you have to be networking. You have to be talking to people, not pitching them, not trying to sell to them, but making sure that you're building those relationships and that people know what you're doing that, and that you're out there. And, um, and the public speaking route, I, I mean, I agree, getting in front of people so they can get a feel for who you are and what you know and all of those things is invaluable. It's been real. People ask me all the time how I get clients and it's that and referrals. So right. I it, totally it, agree. Exactly right. I mean, those, those are the two most common ways that and probably you know, talking to the people you know, being out there and, and in conversation. Exactly. Okay, now I, I want to sort of shift to okay. um, talking about the perfect customer because a lot of experts recommend that entrepreneurs and salespeople are that they describe their best customer, that they're able to really, you know, put a description around that. You recommend against that. Yeah. And I'm curious why. Yeah, that's a very common exercise, and, and I'm about to offend a lot of people, I'm sure. It's a <clears throat> very common exercise. Develop some avatar. Describe your perfect customer. Create a persona. Advertising agencies love to do this kind of stuff. Marketing people, yeah. again, I'm classically trained in marketing. They love to do this kind of stuff. And uh, at least for, for our business, 
um, for the kind of business I, I run and, and I consult with, it's absolutely, it, it's stupid. It's, it's just ridiculous. It's useless. And here's why. <laughs> there is nothing about the description of your perfect customer that will make that person pick up the phone if you call or buy your product. The mere fact that you're describing them does not make them turn into a customer. So if you are decide, you know what, my offering, whatever it is, my offering is perfect for the, uh, the I think example I use in the book is something similar to vice presidents of manufacturing for Midwest uh, heavy machinery companies. And you go, those people are perfect, you know, who, who uh, have an urgent need for whatever. The mere fact that you describe it that way doesn't mean when you call that the, the VP of manufacturing, a Caterpillar, is going to pick up the phone if he doesn't know you. And so it, it, it's, it's nigh on ridiculous because it, it, it's not real world. In the real world, the number one most important attribute of a customer, of a prospect, is that you can reach them is that you can engage in conversation. I don't care about the rest. You have to be able to get into conversation with them. And for most of us, for most of your listeners, advertising won't be a way into conversation. Yeah. Pushing won't be a way into conversation. Yeah. In, there are more nuanced ways into that conversation. And even so, you still have to reach them. Right. So unless you can get in a conversation with them, you're not going to get a sale. And that's why all the avatar stuff I think is, you know, is kind of silly. What is better is to take a look at all the people you can reach. And that group of people you can reach, if you take a look at your contact list, which is the, the contacts that you've generated over your career so far, there will be some commonalities. Now describe those people, right? What those people look like. And what are their common needs? What do they have an urgent desire to solve and a willingness and authority to pay someone to help them solve? If you figure that out, that's a good customer description <laughs> because that's practical. That you can use and you can actually use that to drive business. So I would throw away the theoretical exercises, which are fun and they're cute and you can cut out little pictures of, of people in magazines, if there are magazines anymore. And, and paste it onto something, uh, but then throw it away and do the, do the real work of understanding who can you actually reach? What do they look like? What do they need? And then how do you talk to those folks? Okay, are you concerned at all that people hearing that are gonna think that what you're really saying is, it doesn't matter, like nothing else matters other than can you get them on the phone? So they're gonna, <laughs> they're just going to like go after anything as opposed to where they can really have an impact? Well, the very, that's it, it, a, it's a great question. Uh, I'm not concerned at all because your listeners are smart and, and the it's and, and in fact, if they got on the phone and just called everyone that they, they, they could get in the conversation with and listened for where could they have an impact, they'd be more likely to build a successful business. And that does not, not mean they would do every single thing they hear about. It would mean that they're listening for a common point where there's a need and they can deliver a valuable solution. So, okay, that was a great answer because 
the key there for me was if, if they can get into conversations with people and really listen, the key there was listen. Right. Yes. And, and that's, that, that's why discovery is so important because, it's not about who you can reach. It's about who you can reach that needs what you offer. Yeah. There's okay. a, there's a, uh, a little graphic I sometimes use, which is, which is not in this book, but I use it sometimes in my training. And it's about how conversations look. Since I'm a consultant, the entire world can be broken down into two by two matrices, right? You can draw a little quadrant chart. There's the world. And we haven't used one yet, so let's use one now. Okay. So if you were to draw a little quadrant chart, at the, the, the vertical axis, you could say, um, that's about, are there questions being asked? So there either okay. are questions being asked or there are not. Let's say are, there are not is at the top and there are at the bottom, but you can do it however you want. Okay. And the other axis is who's doing the talking? And it's either you or the other person you're in conversation with. So you've got four possible quadrants here. One quadrant is you are doing the talking and there are not questions being asked. That's called pitching. That's just you, blah, 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 yammering, trying to say what you think will allow you to make the sale. There's okay. another quadrant, which is the person that you're talking to is talking, but they're not asking any questions. That's actually also not a great place to be because that's really, uh, in my world, an RFP. That is merely saying, here's a whole list of specifications. You meet it or you don't. There, there's no conversation truly in that. And there, there's no way to build a high value win-win offering, something that's going to create margin for you and extra value for them. So now there's another quadrant where they're talking and they're asking questions. So now at least we're in the question asking game. But if they're in control of a conversation and they're asking you questions, which is, by the way, where you will often find yourself in your, if you are in sales of any kind, where you say, do you have any questions? And they say, yeah. How much do you cost? How long will this take? When can you have this for me? Can you deliver it to Albuquerque? And what this is called is qualifying. They have a list of specifications, they have some criteria, and they are qualifying you. And there's a final quadrant. And the final quadrant was when you're in conversation and you are asking the questions. That's consulting. That's a consultative sale. You are asking the questions, you're receiving information. And those are the types of conversations that allow you to build business. That's, that's frankly the only type of conversation that allows you to win business. So when you can reach someone, you need to get into a consulting conversation, which means you're asking insightful questions and you are listening to their responses. Yeah. So everybody listening to their answers. <laughs> I just feel like I have to sit on that because I think – so many people, they hear this, oh, I got to ask questions. Okay. And they ask questions, but they're asking them just to ask them. They already have made up their mind what they're going to tell the person once it's their turn. Yes. Oh, you're absolutely right. You have to actually ask questions with the intent of hearing the answer. Um, yeah. <laughs> not with it. If you are asking questions merely because it's on the list and you've heard on a podcast or written a book, you're supposed to ask questions. 
that's actually just talking with little breaks in between to let the other person do whatever they're doing, but you're not actually listening. You're just talking. Yeah. Yeah. It's not good. Okay. Let's, let's flip a little to marketing. Okay. Because in your book, you talk about five marketing must. Yes. And I think it would be good for people to hear something about those, please. Sure. Uh, again, in my world, the consulting world, and I think it applies elsewhere. I talk about the five marketing must. The five marketing must in no particular order are speaking, writing, trade associations, digital presence, and networking. And uh, so speaking, writing, trade associations, digital presence, networking. I may have said them in a slightly different order. <clears throat> and uh, networking is the only one that you absolutely must do. There's no choice. Because if you don't do that, you're, going to, you're just going to struggle immensely in any business that relies on people, that relies on relationships. And again, I don't mean going out to networking events, though you, Diane, are very, very good at that. And you're good at setting those up. That can be helpful, but that kind of networking isn't absolutely critical. What is critical is that you are in conversation with people. Other than that, you should be able to engage in at least one of the other four. Speaking, writing, digital presence, trade associations. The more you are able to do and able to engage in with some level of facility, the easier you will find it to generate business. The more you absolutely despise and avoid doing any of those, the more difficult road you will find this to be on. And, uh, you know, so it's, it's kind of as simple as that. Trade associations often strike people as the odd one out. Like, wow, that doesn't seem like as high a level and big a thing as speaking and writing uh, and being, you know, digital presence, which by the way, doesn't just mean social media. It means overall digital presence. Um, and, and my reply to that is, hey, I'm just telling you what works. The, what, what I have seen is that if you are involved in a trade association that your customers or prospects belong to, that's, and, and you engage with them, you, you participate, you speak perhaps, uh, you write for their journal, you join their boards, that is a very effective way to generate business. Okay. I, those are fabulous. I, I, I agree. And I think... Now, actually, I'd like you to talk a little bit more about the trade association thing, because you said, hmm. I think it bears repeating that you said, if you engage with them, if you participate, if you get on the board, that it's not like you can just join and never no. go to something and never, <laughs> right? Yes. It is not sufficient to send a check and then hope that people will start calling you, offering you their cash. Uh, you, you, so a trade association means actually in being engaged, being involved, it often means picking a committee and uh, donating your, your valuable time and, and talking about their issues, learning what their issues are. The, um, what I would tell you with any approach to marketing, and especially in trade associations, but this is true to anything you do in marketing, you must commit for the long haul. Ah, that's great. Now the, explain why. So... Let me, let me give you by way of a common example <clears throat> with trade associations, since you brought that up. What I will often see is someone, an entrepreneur says, you know what? Okay, fine. I'll, I'll go to a trade association's convention. I'll go to their, their trade show. And they go to a, this conference, this trade show, or this convention, and they wander around the halls and they, they give cards, they receive cards, 
and no business results from it. And they think, oh, God, what a waste of my time. And I spent money to get here. Or maybe I had a booth and nothing happened. And the answer to that is do it for two more years in a row. Because year two, you will see some of the same people. They will recognize you. You go, well, we, yeah, I kind of remember you from, from, you were here last year? Right. And you can strike up a little bit of a conversation. By year three, when you see those same people, you're an old friend. And old friends give you business. So it's a matter of not... It, of longevity of understanding how marketing works. Marketing is often not a direct line. You can't say, I spent $500, I went to a conference, therefore I got clients the, the, or customers. The closest thing to that would be public speaking. But in most cases, that's just not how it works. There's a delay period. There's a, um, you have to build up some recognition over time. You have to invest over time. You have to get through the stage where you're doing it poorly. Because <laughs> we all do things poorly the first time or the first five times. And so you, you think you're doing a good job at the trade association meeting or in your marketing in general. And in fact, you're doing an okay job. But if you keep at it, if you keep working at it and really focus on improving, over time you will get better at it. So maybe in year two, in year three, or in year four, and I know this is probably daunting for some people, but if you stick with it, then it will start to pay out in spades. Because don't you think that people, you know, they see you once and they don't see you again and, and you're sort of fly by night and they think you just did it to gather business cards and see what quick business you could possibly get, but you're not really committed to their, them and their organization. I think if they thought about you at all, that's exactly what they would think. Yeah. But in, in, and point. in most cases, they don't think about you at all. They yeah. met you once, you've disappeared yeah. from their brains entirely. Yeah. You probably have a stack of business cards someplace yeah. that are from a conference you went to. Could have been six months ago, could have been six years ago, but even if it was six weeks ago, I'll bet you dollars to donuts. If you look half of those cards, you're gonna have no clue who those people are. <laughs> <laughs> right? So it's not that you think they're fly by night. It's like you don't even know who they are. They've left your brain. Yeah. They're gone. They went bye-bye. Yeah. They just bounced off. Yeah. But if you saw yeah. them again, there's a good yeah. chance you would remember them. And the third time, you would absolutely remember them. Yeah. 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 It's, it's really, I think that's a tremendously important point. And I'm really, I, people really need to hear it because they do. They'll join organizations and they'll, be there for a year and they'll say, well, I didn't get anything out of it. Okay. Well, what'd you put into it? You know what? It takes longer than that. A relationship building takes longer than that. I mean, it's just, you bet, you know, odd. Diane, how long have you been doing this podcast? Oh gosh. I think eight years, eight or nine. Wow. I sort of lost track. I know. I sort of lost track. Yeah. Good for you. So yeah. in, in year one, in month one, yeah. Did, did clients suddenly come out of the woodwork? Did this suddenly produce everything you wanted? Nope. Right. But after eight years, you've got a pretty solid following. After yeah. eight years, you start to say, hey, you know what? I heard a podcast you ran three months ago or three yeah. years ago. Yeah. And all of a sudden, you're winning business. So good for you, by the way. Congratulations on that. Oh, thanks. I love doing it because, you know, 
I get to learn and I get to talk to people like you. And so it's, it's a double bonus for me. Uh, and I get to fulfill my goal, which was getting as much information out to small business people as I could. So speaking of them, um, some of them, if not a lot of them, I am sure have to negotiate contracts. So I'm wondering if you could give them some tips for uh, winning in those negotiations. Sure. I'll give them all sorts of tips. And the, uh, I mean, there are books galore on negotiation, right? So the, the, the biggest tip is actually do the part before well, do discovery well, right? The, the, I very rarely get into true negotiation. There are sometimes clarification of terms or someone may say, could, could I combine part of this with part of that, which is again, clarifications of terms as opposed to pushing back on your offering. And I rarely get into negotiations because I've done all the discovery up front. I've already found out what their objections are going to be. And so, you know, from that standpoint, I, I want to just really emphasize the more time you spend up front understanding your customers, the easier negotiation becomes. Yeah. Now, that said, my number one most important tip for negotiation is what I call the strategic delay. And what I mean by that is when you're at a point where you've, you've given a proposal of some sort, you, you've said, here's my offering, I wanna give you these widgets and here's the price and here's the time, and here's the date, and the person pushes back. Your prospect says, well, I think that price is too high or I need it earlier or I need it in orange or I need you to um, also translate everything into ancient Assyrian. Your immediate response has to be, got it, what else? Not an answer to their objection. Wow. <clears throat> yeah, that's, that's the strategic delay. You're, you're delaying your response. And we are so tempted to always answer, to show we have an answer to whatever that objection is. Um, can't you do it in brown? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Um, can't, you know, can't you, can you lower your price? Well, let's talk about pricing. You know, we can, we can't, whatever. You know, what are your needs? Um, let's talk about what the value is. No, none of that. You don't want to do any of that. You simply say, got it. You've got a concern about the language. Or I hear you've got some, um, you, you're looking for lower pricing. What else? Is there anything else in the way of us closing this deal? Once you have everything on the table, then you can start into the negotiations. But the true magic is getting everything on the table first. And what that, what that does for you is um, it, it might surprise you. There's a multitude of benefits. One benefit, which may surprise you, is some of those objections, perhaps the first one they brought up, which in all likelihood is not their biggest objection, but it might be. But one of those objections or two or three or five of them are simply going to disappear. Wow, really? Yeah, really. That part I can't totally explain other than um, it's possible folks get into either negotiation fatigue, they, they've had enough, or you get enough momentum with the yeses because you've solved other stuff that they go, so yeah, okay, great. Yeah, I had some other things, they're not the biggest deal. Even if they were originally the biggest deal. Huh. You've shown your willingness to, to cooperate, to collaborate, 
by addressing other items. So some things on the list are just gonna flat out disappear. You also, when you get the whole list first, you can choose the order in which you address things. And you can choose an order which is advantageous to you or which is easier for you. So if someone says, I want the price lower, I want it delivered uh, tomorrow at 6 a.m. and I'd like them delivered to Albuquerque. And you're thinking, there's no way in hell I can get them tomorrow by 6 a.m. And boy, I don't really want to talk about price, but Albuquerque, no problem. <laughs> then you can say, okay, let, well, let's talk about um, Albuquerque. Tell me a little bit more about what your concerns are because you're always going to go after every single thing the same way. What are your concerns? What's the issue behind the issue? Why do you need them in Albuquerque? Okay, well, look, um, I think that uh, I can probably move some things around and get these to Albuquerque. If I can get these to Albuquerque for you, will that be helpful? Will that suit your needs? Person says, yes. Okay, great. Let, let's talk. What else was on the list? They might say, you know, if you can get them to Albuquerque, I'm good with it. Even if you get them to me uh, in a week, right? You know, who knows? Or they may say, okay, let's talk about timing. All right. Why do you need them tomorrow? What's the concern behind it? So you can take things in whatever, whatever order works best for you. And that's a big advantage. And here perhaps is the biggest advantage of the strategic delay is by saying what else, instead of immediately answering, you cannot jump into a defensive mode. <laughs> being defensive, being emotional, but being defensive in particular is a death knell for negotiations. You cannot defend your way into an agreement. <laughs> So, and we all get that way. It's natural. We feel attacked. We might feel personally attacked, especially if our service is very personal. Yeah. And what if you're a yoga instructor or what if you are, you're offering your expertise in accounting or anything else? It might feel very personal if someone says no or has an objection. And so you have this response that you want to become defensive by saying, what else? And getting that full list, you can step away from it. You have that delay and you're no longer compelled to be defensive. And now you've got 10 times higher likelihood of having a successful negotiation. That is outstanding. Yeah, it's, wow. it's very effective. <laughs> uh, no kidding. I just love that. I never would have thought of that. I, I just, you know, what else? And then, you know, you get everything on the table. So you know what you're dealing with. Right. You know what the landscape, you I mean, worst case, I guess I would say, you know what you're dealing with, because as you said, then some of those things may not still be as important. Wow. Those are great. Thanks. Yeah, you're welcome. You know, and I, so I do this all the time and I sit down with, with large groups and I will ask them, depending on what the, the topic is. But if we're talking about this kind of stuff, I'll say, if let's say you run into a price objection, what's the best response you can give? Everybody write it down. And people come up with great responses that they've been taught. Well, let's talk about the value. What's your concern about that? Right? All of these, these great things. And they can be great responses at the right time. Mm. The big learning is to put them at the right time by using the strategic delay and asking what else. Yeah, it's so great. Because then you maintain control of the conversation and of your response. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. You give yourself time to think. You give yourself time to react. Maybe you've got someone else in the room with you, which is often great, right? Because they've got a different perspective. They may not be quite as emotionally invested or as emotionally yeah. charged. And, and 
by putting that delay in, it also gives you a chance perhaps to, to huddle, think things through. It, it, it's just immensely valuable. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that, that is terrific. Okay, now I, I have one last question for you. I okay, have no. to ask, this could possibly be the most important question I'm going to ask you today. No one probably isn't. But I have to know, so you have all these stick figure illustrations in your book, and I want to know, did you draw them? Yes. Or did you have someone draw them for you? You did? Yeah. So right here in my hand, as you can reach over on the side of my desk here, I'm holding a little HP stylus, a pen. And I draw all my stick figures on the, uh, a, a little tablet computer um, that I have. Wow. Now, it can take me six or seven tries to draw a circle. And... This actually is why I don't use professionals. Well, that and, you know, the fact that they're only stick figures, for goodness sakes. Um, <laughs> but it did take me a while to learn how to use stick figures. And credit to Randall Monroe for anybody who's aware of him, because I, I looked at how he drew stick figures and went, okay, I can do that. So um, if I have, I've had a professional artist do one or two over the past five years, and I can't use them. Because professional artists know how to draw circles and know how to draw lines. And everything looks very clean and precise. And I don't. Ah. My circle looks like a broken egg. It, it's, um, it, you know, so it, it, uh, literally it can take me more than one time to just draw something that's close enough to round that I can use it as a head. <laughs> and uh, so I do that all myself. Oh, well, that's great. I'm glad you do it all yourself because it's just that much more of, of you in the book, which um, is wonderful. And I, if people don't realize after this conversation that they absolutely need to buy it, then I don't know what I'm going to do. So <laughs> would you tell people how they, because <laughs> it's just ridiculous, but will you tell people how they can get the book and how they can find you and sure. everything they should know? Uh, sure. Books available wherever books are sold, all that kind of things. Um, they're, they're at a lot of airports right now because the, the book is oh, doing, um, I, I've been very, very fortunate. The book's doing phenomenally well. The, um, but it, you know, Amazon, Barnes and Noble, Audible, well, once we get that completely finalized, uh, so wherever, wherever you go, if you look up guide to winning clients, it will come up. So that's an easy way to get the book. Uh, lots of great resources. If you buy the book, there's a, there's a link to resources. So I encourage you to, to make use of them. And uh, finding me is also easy. My name is David A. Fields with the initial A. Uh, you go to davidafields.com or davidafields.com forward slash consultants, then you will find me. I have, I think at this point, 350 articles, 400 articles or something like that, it, covering topics we talked about, um, covering lots of other topics, plenty of stick figures. Uh, most of them are there just to make me laugh. And uh, you know, I encourage people to just take, you know, take advantage of the information there. It, it is there for people to, to succeed. That's so awesome. Thank you so much for coming back on and providing this information for my listeners. It's so great. Well, you ask smart questions, which is why you provide tremendous value for your listeners. So thank you oh, for well, having thanks. me on your show. Oh my gosh. It, absolutely. Absolutely. It's really, again, just been just fabulous. So, um, and, and I want to thank the listeners and folks, seriously, go get the book. You can tell that how much valuable information there is in the book um, and, and more than we even talked about. So get on out there, get it, do yourself a favor. 
Um, I'd also like to thank our sponsor, audible.com. Uh, to get your free trial and a free audiobook, go to audibletrial.com slash businessgrowth. Continue to prosper and be curious. And until we meet again on another episode of Accelerate Your Business Growth, goodbye and good day. The world's best-known investor and Wall Street expert Warren Buffett once said, Wall Street is the only place that people ride to in a Rolls Royce to get advice from those who take the subway. Mr. Buffett's quote is remarkably accurate, but how many people would rather receive advice from him than someone simply guessing? Welcome to Buy, Hold, Sell, your single source for Wall Street knowledge and profitable guidance. Please join me, Todd Schoenberger, and fellow trader Tobin Smith, as well as host Veronica Dudo, for a podcast known to move the needle for investors. Tobin and I are seasoned Wall Street executives with deep investment experience, and we are prepared to share our advice to those who choose to listen. Download Buy, Hold, Sell today on the Evergreen Podcast Network or your favorite podcast channel.